is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Good morning, everyone. You're listening to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. My name is Kate Copsey, and I am the host of the show. You can contact me from my webpage, katecopsey.com, or through America's Web Radio Station site. This morning, we are going to be talking to Dr. Erwin Goldman, who is the Chair of Horticulture and a Professor of Horticulture at the University of Wisconsin, and one of the founders of the Open Seed Initiative. Good morning, Dr. Goldman. Good morning, Kate. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, you are more than welcome. Um, you are at the University of Wisconsin, where you're active in plant research and development. So let's start maybe with a little about your background and the areas of research that interests you. Well, I'm a vegetable breeder, and I, I work on uh, breeding carrot, onion, and table beets. My my position is really breeding and genetics of cross-pollinated vegetable crops, and I do a lot of teaching here as well. I teach uh, a couple of courses in plant breeding. I teach a course in vegetable crops. I teach in the biology program. So I'm very involved in instruction and mentoring students as well. So, uh, you know, my, my real interest is in genetic improvement of vegetables and uh, breeding for traits that, that gardeners and consumers and farmers care about. And what type of uh, traits would those be? Th- things like, I guess, with the root crops, things like things that attack them or or what? Sure. <laughs> well, part of what we do is breed for resistance to pests. But I, I'm also very interested in pigments and, and nutritional uh, qualities and shape and color and attractiveness and uh, processing quality. So all of the things that, that people might care about uh, in, in terms of a high-quality vegetable. And and is this something that is more maybe geared towards the uh, commercial grower, or does it also have ramifications maybe for the home grower you know, of vegetables? We do, yeah, we do both. So we, we, we look at uh, qualities that would have appeal to both. And so we might release a variety that's more directed towards the fresh market home grower, uh, and we might release a different variety that's more directed towards the processor. Okay. Um, and you started the Open Seed Initiative along with Jack Klokenberg, um, and that's kind of the focus of today's show. But what exactly is the Open Seed Initiative? Well, the, it's the open source, uh, we call it the Open Source Seed Initiative, and, and it's, a, it's a project that involves some farmers and uh, small seed companies, plant breeders, uh, citizens, seed advocates from, from all across the country who have gotten together over the last several years to develop a framework for releasing uh, crop varieties that cannot be legally protected through patents or licenses. They're, they would remain free and available in the public domain for anybody that wants to save seed, anybody that wants to breed with them, anybody that wants to uh, sell them, uh, tinker with them in any way. And it's a, it's a, it's a sort of a way to keep, keep seed free, essentially, uh, and not have it be locked up with various intellectual property restrictions. And uh, does that, um, I, I guess uh, the first time I, I saw this, um, I guess in one of the catalogs that, that um, I order from quite regularly, one of the 
sweet corns, I think it was, it said saving seed from this plant is prohibited. And yeah. when, I, when I questioned them, the, um, the marketing people or the customer service people said, well, we have to put that on uh, because people tend to take them and then they sort of grow seed from them and whatever um, and then try, try and sell them. Um, and I thought that was kind of rather rather strange um you know that that people would particularly in the home market would do that um but i guess guess it was kind of a protection that the um originator of the seed had insisted on um and i i guess that was the first time i'd seen that on shall we say a, um, a normal home grower type um catalog yeah well, that's, a, that's the, right. That's exactly the kind of thing I think we're gardeners and farmers are seeing more of. There are even packets of seed that a uh, farmer might buy or a gardener might buy that say on them, opening, by opening this packet, I'm agreeing to the following terms, including that I will not save the seed, that I will not breed with it, that I will not uh, replant it, and that sort of thing. And I think one of the things we wanted to do was to set aside some seeds that wouldn't be treated that way, essentially. And and so would this be predominantly hybrid seeds or, or are there some that are open pollinated um, that this would affect? Yeah, I mean, we're, all of the material that we've released, so so far we've, we did one big release in, uh, on April 17th of 37 different varieties of 14 different crops. And all of those were open pollinated. Or in the case of the, yeah, all of those were open pollinated unless they were self-pollinated type uh, plants. But all of the outcrossing types were open pollinated varieties. And so uh, somebody could take those seeds and begin saving them, breed with them, uh, really do whatever they wish. And, and so are these predominantly kind of new seeds uh, to the market um, or um, have they been most of them? I mean, I, I know there's lots of um, heirloom ones which are all open pollinated. Um, and so, so was there not enough of those uh, with the particular traits for, say, research or, or the traits that you wanted that you had to uh, maybe go into the, the other market? For these 37 varieties, we... These were all varieties that breeders had been breeding for many years prior to our development of the Open Source Seed Initiative. And when, when we began to think about this initiative, uh, these breeders got interested in contributing a variety or contributing some of their varieties to the initiative. So essentially they were breeding them for years because, uh, of course, the process of plant breeding can take many, many years, maybe 10 years, 15 years to breed a new variety. So, so we so those were started years ago, but then then they offered these, uh, they contributed these, you might say, to the, you know, to the effort. And and so, yeah, and and I guess um, you know when people save seeds from some some of these, particularly if they're open pollinated, sometimes things change along the way. For instance, like the, the mortgage lifter tomato, which was probably, I'm not sure when that started, but prob- probably a good while back. What, what we're actually growing now under that name, even if it's been bred tra- straight through, it's probably not quite the same um, as the original because nature in itself has a tendency to change things. So how does that um, affect the, the open source um, seed, uh, particularly when you're doing research? on them. Right. I mean, I think one of, one of the things that's important to us as plant breeders is this sort of 
you know, the evolution of populations and the, the changes that occur in these populations over time. So an open pollinated variety can actually drift and change depending on where it's grown and where it's produced. And actually, I think that's quite positive. I think it, 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 it can lead to adaptation. So it can lead to improved adaptation of that variety for a particular location. So we certainly embrace that. And I think one of the things we're trying to do with the Open Source Seed Initiative is give people these seeds, give people these populations, and let them, let them tinker with them. Let, them. let the gardeners grow them in their locations. Let them develop their own varieties if they wish. Let them save the seed. And, and in that way, they're sort of you know, re-continuing re, uh, to, to sort of see these varieties move, move through time, uh, which is a positive thing. And with the restrictions that are imposed on certain varieties now, uh, a gardener wouldn't technically be able to do that. So we're giving them the permission, I suppose, to, uh, to do that. And, you know, and, and I think so, certainly, um, you know, with um, pe- people, I think they're trying to, to do this. Uh, I can talk to a lot of people now that are maybe kind of cross-pollinating um, in, on the home garden, not necessarily with the idea of selling them and making a profit. But it, yeah. it seems like along with the heirloom um, development and things, people are now, you know, well, I like this. This some, some plants, uh, I think, cross pollinate really a lot easier than others, and they they come they come to actually enjoy it. And so this this uh, initiative then is is more to allow more seeds um, to to come into the pipes pipeline, right? Definitely, yeah. I mean, it's it's taking um, some of the materials. Uh, a lot of it came from heirloom varieties or open pollinated varieties where, that we've been breeding, and take those genetic resources and put them in a what we call a protected commons. I mean, basically putting it out there that anybody can have for free and everybody can get these materials, but what they can't do with them is they can't legally tie them up. So they can't breed with them and then, and then obtain a patent or breed with them and obtain a restricted license with those materials. It, that's the one thing that they have to agree to if they're going to use the open source seed. And, and do you find that, by and large, when people read that, like I did in a catalogue, do they actually take notice of it, or does the home gardener and the market in general just say, yeah, right, um, <laughs> and then by next year they've kind of forgotten what they agreed to? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good question, and I think it's, it's one of the things that we'll have to see as time goes by how people respond to this. And at some level, we recognize this is an experiment, um, we're hoping to appeal to the moral economy by asking them to essentially take this pledge. Our packets all have what we call the open source seed pledge on them, and that pledge basically says these seeds are free to be used in any way you wish. Uh, we want you to enjoy them, and, and we want you to make sure that they remain in the public domain by not, not protecting them legally. And we hope that people will respond to that. So far, we've had requests from 16 countries, and we've had uh, we've sent out over six thousand seed packets to those sixteen countries. So, yeah, we we've had a kind of an enormous interest in this material, and I hope people will uh, take that pledge seriously. That all, almost sounds like it might be a profitable little business for you. <laughs> it, it could be. Actually, we are we are in the process of steering this towards a nonprofit entity. We do we do want to focus our attention. You know, not really on seed distribution as much as on education and outreach around seed issues. I think we will try to continue to promote and develop a catalog of open source seed varieties, but, but ultimately what we really want to do is to sort of 
raise the awareness of, of seed issues and how important it is to have at least some genetic resources that remain available to people. And, uh, you know, and I think so, certainly from a research point of view, um, I guess if you're, if you're in the university, uh, most universities tend to go for um, donations and things like that. So did this kind of surprise you a little bit, the amount of interest there was? Yeah, it was. It was surprising. I mean, I, I was—I really didn't know what to expect, and I have to say, we were all very pleasantly surprised by the amount of interest, which actually continues. I was uh, in Canada this this week at a meeting where we uh, talked about these issues with a number of people interested in that in Canada. I have—we have had interviews all over the world. Uh, we have had just a wonderful response, and I guess <laughs> it makes me feel like you know, that, that these issues are resonating with yeah, people. Yeah, it sounds like you've touched a, a real nerve with, with people, which is absolutely wonderful. But, you know, we need to go for our first commercial break here, but we will be back, everyone, talking with Dr. Erwin Goldman about the Open Source Seed Initiative on America's homegrown veggies, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, I'm Paisley McDonald, and I'd like to invite you to listen to my show, At Home with Paisley, every week, Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern, for practical advice and stylish living for your home and office. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, Q-U-I-K Stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. Remember, you can catch up with us on Facebook at America's Homegrown Veggies. And if you miss any shows, you can find them on americaswebradio.com webpages. You can find them on iTunes and you can find them on Stitchers too. Um, and Owen, we talked about the initiative in general terms. Um, and it seems... Um, to me, it seems an alien idea that we're not allowed to save some seeds for the next growing uh, season. Um, and I thought that until I read, read what you guys were doing, I thought it was only really the, uh, the genetically modified seed from the big companies. So why exactly is there a big fuss about what, um, I guess, home gardeners are doing? I mean, is it worth a company really sticking something you can't, um, save this seed on a packet and expecting it to be adhered to? Yeah, that is a good question. I, I really don't know the degree to which a company would uh, would protect their intellectual property that way, though legally they are increasingly putting those sorts of those sorts of warnings on their packets. So either in their catalogs or in their packets, they are restricting uh, the home gardeners or the farmers' use of that seed, and 
some of them have even gone to the point where the the package says you can't do research on this seed, Ooh. Uh, which is a very interesting statement. Uh, we've encountered this with some vegetable seeds, and you know, normally as a researcher, I'm interested in growing these things and looking at them, measuring them, comparing them to what I'm breeding, and that, that prohibition against research is also quite startling. So. We don't really know the degree to which we could be prosecuted for that, uh, or a gardener would be prosecuted for that if they were to violate it. But I would say that that just the whole sort of discussion of that brings a, a bit of a chill uh, into the air about about this thing that we have been doing for a long, long time, which is saving seeds. Yes, and so, yeah, and you're right. I mean, for, for it's always been kind of a, a right of, I guess, people to save seeds. And, you know, for our grandparents and before that, I mean, it was how they survived. Um, so when exactly did that change? Um, was it, well, is it something fairly, fairly new that this has happened? Well, I, I guess, you know, um, I trace, you know, the beginnings of, of hybrid cultivars goes back to the teens and the 20s in this country, uh, where where hybrids, although they're not pre- protected with specific intellectual property protections from a contractual or legal point of view, they have a built-in biological protection because they don't breed true. And so saving hybrids, of course, means that your next generation will segregate. But... but that was the beginning, I think, of sort of protecting plant germplasm through the through the middle, maybe even through the 60s and 70s of uh, the 20th, 1960s, 1970s. Uh, we saw various sorts of ways to protect protect plant varieties biologically, and then I think with the plant variety protection certificates that came in the 1970s and the expansion of the seed industry, I think people began to look for other ways to protect their germplasm. And it really hasn't been until the 1980s and 90s that people began patenting. And I think the patenting has really changed things quite a bit uh, because obtaining patents for plant varieties and patents for processes that relate to the breeding of plant varieties has meant that some germplasm really is off limits. And uh, so I think as as companies, and I should say to be completely candid, that universities, uh, like university where I work, also seeks to protect the intellectual property of its plant varieties. So I think everybody has sought to do that, and as they've as they've begun to protect those, particularly in the last, say, 20 years or so, we've seen a, a decrease in what we call freedom to operate, meaning we can't breed with that material as readily. We certainly can't save its seeds. Well, that that would certainly wreck uh, the research side of things if you can't use them. Um, but I, I know I, I read that um, the three ma- major companies, Syngenta, DuPont, and the big, big pariah in, in the gardening world, Monsanto, um, that they own and control over half the world's seed. Um, so that means, I guess, the food supply for over half the world is also in the direct um, hands of three people, so to speak, um, which I find rather alarming. Um, and, and I would imagine that that is part of this whole problem. Would that be right? Yeah, it is. I mean, I think that the, 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 I can't give you the exact figures, but you're absolutely correct that several companies do control a majority share or at least half of the world seed trade. And I think 
that is understandable from a modern business point of view, and the consolidation in our industry here with seeds is not, probably not that different than the consolidation that's occurred in other industries. I think, though, that because it's food and because it's seed, it does have it, car- it carries a special meaning for humanity. And so, if we uh, if we do that, I think we have to be aware that that consolidation will have ramifications for us. And one of the things we wished to do with the Open Source Seed Project was to set aside some genetic resources that would not be subject to that level of consolidation and control. I'm not saying that the consolidation and control is, uh, is, uh, is wrong. It's certainly legal. But we, we, if we don't set aside some material, I think we run the risk of, uh, of having everything tied up in a... In a, in a um, in a in a legalistic fashion. Yeah, and I, I would think that um, for research, particularly, um, you know, when, when you want to breed something uh, true to, um, and you want to maybe have s- several different uh, generations, and you want to try something on one, see how that goes down the generations, and maybe do something else, because it takes a couple of generations for something I would imagine to be seen. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, it takes many generations. Yeah. And, and so um, I guess you were bargaining to some extent with the university um, to let some of these go out into the public. Would that be yeah, right? I th- well, yeah, I did have to have a conversation with the university. And, of course, they would have to approve any variety that I develop uh, and decide whether they wish to license that variety. And in this particular case, they did allow me to release two carrot varieties that I had developed through this mechanism of open source. And it, I, I, I was very generous of them. I believe that they were very supportive of my efforts to participate in this activity. Um, but it's important that they, they may not let me do that for, you know, some of the varieties that I develop will likely be licensed. And, in fact, uh, as a way to support my plant breeding program, that's probably important for me as well. So I recognize that as valuable as I think the open source commitment is, I can't do 100% of my material open source, partly because the university wouldn't let me, but also because I need some way to develop revenue to support my plant breeding program. So I I understand the realities of this, and um, it's a complicated reality, but my goal is to try to pursue as much as I can to set aside genetic resources uh, in this open source framework. Yes, and I, I would imagine that, um, I mean, is there a concern maybe that by not being able to control everything, um, particularly when it comes to research, um, that maybe some of them are concerned that maybe the research that you do will contradict um, something or maybe give unwelcome results um, that they don't want publicized? That's certainly possible, yeah. I, I can't... Um... I don't know all the reasons why they have a research prohibition there, but may, perhaps that's one of them. Yeah, and I, I, w- I would imagine that, you know, once you've developed something um, that has particular traits, like may- maybe it do- maybe the, um, the, the, a blight protection or something like that, that it would be to the benefit of everybody who lives in dreary climates to be able to grow a tomato that is kind of um, not really susceptible to that late summer blight, for instance. Right. Yeah. And it it would seem to me that, um, you know, it it would be almost common sense um, to let people 
grow what they want and be able to save those seeds and selectively see uh, pick which ones they want and th- this whole idea is kind of hampering that both both on your side and on the the um home growers side right that's right i mean i you know i understand that that a certain amount of investment you know to breed a new variety takes a certain amount of money and it takes resources and so they're making an investment and they want to uh, be able to capitalize on that investment i certainly understand that but i think my point has been that if everything is protected and restricted uh, then we no longer can exchange seeds, we no longer can share germplasm, and that will have a chilling effect on plant breeding itself. Uh, so we can't really afford as a society, I think, to put all of our eggs in that, in that basket. Yeah, and, and it would seem, seem like, you know, if you could start with, um, shall we say, the same carrot every time, you'd basically have to go from maybe an heirloom before you started to make sure it was the, the same stable variety. But, and so you'd have to almost go back four steps before you could start doing any, any future research. Would that be yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. And that's right. And that's not a necessarily a productive direction for us. Yeah, I mean, it would seem like you'd be wait, reinventing the wheel every time before you right. could get to the point that you wanted to. And exactly. so, so, so how, how much would that extend your research result time? I mean, would it double the time, for instance, with, say, carrots, which take, a, what, 90 days, uh, 100 days to develop? You mean if we had to... Start from a, a, um, an heirloom or a basic un- yeah, unrelated Yeah, I mean, that, that, would take, that would take... I mean, that would... Decades of progress would have to be neglected in order to do that, and I, it just doesn't make any sense, I think, yeah. uh, for us to be in that situation. I think... Plant breeding is a field that really depends on sharing of germplasm to some extent so that we can all improve the germplasm base together. And I think if we just breed in silos, we don't exchange any germplasm, I think we're at risk of, of failing to improve the crop. And, and you know, and I, I think as, as the future arrives, you know, I mean, it seems like um, that would be so counterproductive. But has it uh, maybe affected... Uh, the people that invest in your research. Um, I would imagine if uh, Monsanto, for instance, were uh, paying a big bill at the university for research, um, they'd be a little, maybe back off a little, or that you wanted to do this. Yeah, well, I think the companies, yeah, I mean, the companies, I think, have, will have a mixed reaction. We, we have two companies that are part of the open source project. Uh, two smaller seed companies, and they believe that they can make a market for open source seeds. They believe they can sell them because they're selling to customers who are home gardeners. They're selling to customers who want to save seeds and want to tinker with them. Yeah. Um, On the other hand, the larger companies may may not embrace the open source seed project because it would basically mean that their best varieties would be could be taken and could be you know used by others. So it's it's an interesting it's interesting that some have really embraced it and others are are less excited about it. Yeah. Um, well, maybe we'll we'll talk about that kind of in the next segment. But uh, but we do need to take another quick commercial break here. But everyone, you're listening to America's Homegrown Veggie Shows, and we'll talk continue to talk about the Open Source Seed Initiative with Dr. Erwin Goldman from University of Wisconsin. We'll be right back. This is Dr. Elena George with your health tip of the day. Did you know that allergy season in Georgia is year-round? Beginning in July through November, ragweed is the predominant pollen. But February through May, 
tree pollen causes allergy symptoms. Grass pollen occurs from mid-May through the beginning of July. If you suffer from daily nasal congestion, sneezing, runny nose, headache, ear clogging, or popping, or a chronic cough, these symptoms may be due to allergy and not infection. You should also think of allergies if there is no fever, chills, or colored mucus. Treatment should include nasal salt water sprays over the counter or any histamines that do not cause drowsiness. If you have persistent headaches, a decrease in your sense of smell, or nosebleeds, you should see an ear, nose, and throat physician. Please join me on Wednesdays at 9 a.m. for Medicine on Call. This is Dr. Elena George. Today's consumers find themselves faced with a greater variety of choices than ever before, both in the food they eat and the information they receive about that food. Feedstuff's Food Link was created to provide you with a balanced source of information for making decisions about your family's balanced diet. Visit FeedstuffsFoodLink.com to learn about your food directly from the source, the people who work every day to provide it. FeedstuffsFoodLink.com, connecting farm to fork. Hi, I'm Paisley McDonald, and I'd like to invite you to listen to my show, At Home with Paisley, every week, Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern, for practical advice and stylish living for your home and office. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. You're back listening to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I am the host of the show, Kate Copsey, and this morning we are talking about the Open Source Seed Initiative with one of the founders, Dr. Owen Goldman from the University of Wisconsin. Um, so, Owen, we talked about um, basically a little bit about the problem and the solution that you found um, was the open source seed. Um, but do, do you find generally maybe it's the academic people that are really excited about this and the big companies that are providing the seeds and the dollars for the research are saying hmm or is it the university that that uh, does the contracts with the the companies which is therefore giving uh, the problem well um it's interesting i think we've, we've we have two small seed companies that are part of our initiative and both of those companies feel that they can sell open source seed as a as a as a commercial entity, much like you'd sell fair trade products or organic products. And I think they have already begun selling uh, or uh, open source seeds. So, so there there does appear to be some commercial potential for them. Uh, some university people and some public sector people, I think, have embraced the initiative, and others have not. Uh, and it's a mix. So I, I, I can't say that I can draw a clear line in any particular sector. Uh, it, it, we have people on public and private sector who share different views on the subject. So it's not, uh, it's not clear. I think among my colleagues who are public plant breeders working at universities, uh, we have four or five of us who are participating in the initiative, and a number of uh, public sector plant breeders who are choosing instead to to license their varieties uh, or patent their varieties through their universities. And all of, those, all of those objectives make sense to me. I mean, I think there are reasons for doing all of those things. So I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that uh, there's one, one is better than the other. But one of the things that all of us share is this, this notion that intellectual property restrictions are becoming more and more significant in the plant breeding uh, realm. And so we can't ignore it. And we do talk about it a lot. We recognize that it's a potential issue. 
And and would that be similar then maybe to, I guess, the human genome problem um, where people tried to, um, when they did research, they wanted to keep it for themselves and not release it. And then, you know, but the world in general would like to be doing different sorts of research with that same material. So, so, you know, why are you keeping this secret? Um, Would it be a similar scenario to that? You know, I suppose there are similarities. I mean, I think there's a big push towards open access to data, especially data that are publicly funded. I think there's a big uh, push towards open source biology in general. So I think in some ways the Open Source Seed Initiative just reflects a larger sort of cultural and societal desire to see, see things uh, be, be freely available, uh, especially because, I mean, some of this material is funded by public tax dollars, and, and we, we really do want to see it be used. And and so I, I guess these these big companies um, would they I know I know I, I saw that maybe um, I think it was Dupont was uh, funding a lot of research at universities and we assume this isn't all all in genetically modification stuff um, because your your stuff is not genetically modified is that right That's correct That's correct yeah. you're, you're doing just straight old fashioned good quality breeding programs right Exactly Yeah Classical plant breeding is uh, is is what we focus on Yeah Yeah. And I think that's so much healthier. Um, and, and that's how plant, plants have always been um, developed. Um, and, and you basically do, was it root crops? You said, I know it was carrots was one. What were the others? Uh, carrots and onions and table beets are the three that I breed. And so th- those are all root crops, which have a whole different set of diseases to the, those that grow at the top, right? That's right. They have a whole separate set of uh, pests, and then they also... Are handled differently. They they are biennials, and so they the way that they're bred is different than the way you breed annuals. And and so certainly the sort of soil you grow them in makes a big difference. I've noticed too. Um, raised beds are good for that type of thing. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, um, but but obviously um, you know being in a, a university scenario um, and and almost anywhere research. And developing new lines of anything, whether it in any in the plant realm or, or in any other realm, it does take a lot of time and and money to to do that. Um, so you know, when when you're doing um, research uh, in in breeding, you obviously need to be compensated for your time. So how do you strike a balance between, you know, somebody's paying us to do this research. We need them to pay us to do this. Research. Research. Oh, but by the way, we're not going to let them have unique um, control over what, what the, their research brings. I mean, how do you get that balance there? Right. I think that's the, that's the key tension. And I, as I was mentioning earlier, I, I think a certain amount of the work we do in our program has to be remunerative in the sense of having, you know, a royalty license for germplasm or grants that allow us to, to do these things uh, because we need money to run the program. Uh, our approach has been that we'd like to take some small amount of the germplasm we develop uh, and release it open source if we can, if we can obtain permission to do that, as a way to sort of, it's sort of in the same way um, I use the analogy of a national park. I think, you know, we as a society say we'd like to set aside a certain amount of land as we continue to develop our country uh, and make that land available to anybody who wants to use it. It's a natural resource, and we don't, we're not going to develop it. We're not going to build houses or buildings on it. We're just going to have it be available and free. 
And I think that is the sense I have with some of the germplasm. I can't do everything this way, but I can do some things this way. And if, if several of us participate, we can set aside some genetic resources in our crops that can then remain available in perpetuity for people who wish to use it, and that's the idea. Uh, but we recognize that we can't do it 100% level. And so how many um, universities uh, are going to be go- going on this approach? Um, do you find, find that by, by and large, particularly the land-grant universities like um, Rutgers or, or um, Purdue or somebody like that um, would also embrace um, this type of open source um, idea? You know, I think there will be individual plant breeders at those universities who will. And there will be individual plant breeders at those universities who, who won't. Uh, and the institutions themselves, I think, are, are open to the conversation. I think the institutions recognize they need to protect their intellectual property, but that, that if, if some of their faculty come forward and say, we'd like to do this, uh, hopefully those institutions will be able to listen to that and work with them. But I, I don't ever expect it to be you know, a major part of what the universities do simply because the models they work with have to be models that uh, bring in revenue to help support programs. Yeah. And so, so do, do you see um, maybe to the, to the future, any future contracts that you will be writing, be writing this in rather than having to go back to the university and change contracts and say, okay, this is not a good idea. Can, can we tinker with this? Um, I'd like to do this on a retrospect. You're going to be now more, maybe heading, heading forward. You're going to be building this into contracts. I don't. I doubt that there would be a way to, to build this into a sponsored research contract simply because I, uh, any company who was sponsoring research uh, is unlikely. I mean, any of the large companies that sponsor research are unlikely to probably want this. Uh, but I could see it being built into a grant from a foundation or from a, from a public source. And it is those grants that I would target if I were going to be building in some component. So, so you will almost have to wear two hats, right? One, one, one is for one type of company and one is for the ones that you, you would like to um, help with this. Well, yeah, in, in essence, too, I mean, all, all university researchers, I think, uh, have multiple sort of threads of research running through their laboratories. I'm certainly, I certainly do that. I do some research that you know, has direct commercial benefit to companies. I do some research that's more basic science that has more of a sort of long-term benefit to society. And I think, yeah, I, you know, all of those sources of funds end up being important in a, in a research program. And, you know, and, and I, th- I think so, certainly, um, you know, when, when, you, when you're contracting with the public, um, it, it seems like if they're paying for the research that they, they – there's a, a reasonable expectation that they should be able to benefit from it somehow. And, and I would see this maybe as be, being under that uh, umbrella of a benefit to the society as a whole. Yeah, I do too. I think, you know, there's lots of ways I could imagine uh, individuals benefiting. I mean, one of them is that a company takes the material and develops a, a cultivar that they can then, you know, either grow or eat. But, but another way would be that the seeds are freely available to every, anybody, and they can, they can use them however they wish. And so, yeah, I mean, I think there's a definite societal benefit to a project like this, and we hope people will embrace that. 
and and do, do you find find that may, maybe this will be um, picked up may, maybe on the the basics um, uh, in in other countries, um, particularly may, maybe those um, maybe in the the African nation or, or somewhere where they they really have harsh conditions and they're really hampered by those big com- companies saying you can't save your seed. Yeah, I, I think we've had uh, we've had expression strong expressions of interest from sixteen countries for this for this project, and I, I think part of it is a desire, especially on the part of some developing countries, to find models that work for their agriculture. And I think contractual relations that restrict seeds uh, don't go over so well in certain parts of the world, and so the open source project might be of great value to them. And and are you uh, maybe developing um, th- things like like corns and things like that that might also come under um, this umbrella, or or is it just your department right now, or your particular fo- focus um, with the root crops? Those are the only ones that, that you're um, able to do this with. There, there's no other departments doing corns or tomatoes or anything that are, are becoming part of this this uh, idea. Well, uh, we we released 37 different varieties of 14 different crops on April 17th, and those came from six different breeders around the country. I I contributed carrots, but other people contributed broccoli or celery or cress or quinoa, uh, barley, spelt, uh, lettuces, all sorts of different crops. So here at Wisconsin, though, I'm I'm the only breeder, uh, and I'll... If I contribute anything more, it'll come from the crops that I breed. But across the country, we have people breeding a number of different crops who who will be able to contribute. And and hope, hopefully, you know, as, as this thing take, takes off, um, you'll have people in Cal- California and everyone kind kind of contributing different. Um, I mean, particularly th- some some traits. You mentioned lettuce. Um, you know, heat tolerant lettuce for the South would be such a benefit, um, and and cold tolerant ones for the North, and wet tolerant um, everything really on a year like this would be so much of a benefit to us all. Um, but, you know, we need to take our final commercial break here. But come back, everyone, and listen to more about the Open Source Seed Initiative with Dr. Erwin Goldman. And we'll t- tell you a little more about where you can find the seeds for this. We'll be back in just a moment. Hi, I'm Paisley McDonald, and I'd like to invite you to listen to my show, At Home with Paisley, every week, Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern, for practical advice and stylish living for your home and office. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, Q-U-I-K Stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. 
This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. I hope you're enjoying America's homegrown veggie show this morning. We have been talking about the Open Source Seed Initiative with the University of Wisconsin's Dr. Erwin Goldman. Um, so, Erwin, where can people find out more about the, this, um, this initiative? Does it have a web page, for instance? Yeah, it, it does, and I think that's probably the best place to start. It's www.opensourceseedinitiative.org. Uh, and that that is a place where people can begin to get some information about the project. And it, although it's, you've had interest from other countries, do you find prim- primarily that the the interest right right now, or the focus is uh, within the U.S. and Canada? Yeah, I think North America has been the strongest by far uh, so far. And and so, but people don't have to be at a university to be able to adopt this. Do they? Is it in essential, or, or is it targeted maybe towards the the breeders of any level, whether they be university, corporate, or home backyard? Well, um, that's an interesting question. You know, I think what what I found is that the most of the interest is from people who are gardeners and seed advocates and uh, small farmers and people who just really are interested in the issues of surrounding seeds. So I would say that plant breeders, while they they are definitely interested, it's making up only a small portion. There aren't that many plant breeders out there, but there are a lot of tinkerers. There are a lot of gardeners who save seed, and I think those people really have probably represented the largest portion of interest that we've had. And was that a bit of a surprise to you? No, I mean, honestly, I, I've been involved in plant breeding now for 30 years, and I, I know that there are fewer and fewer plant breeders on a, you know, a professional basis uh, than there were 30 years ago. The, 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 the number of plant breeders is not large, uh, but the number of gardeners is huge. And so, you know, I guess I did expect that, that people who are interested in sort of growing these in their backyard garden, uh, tinkering with them would be a very, very strong sort of core of people that we could count on for the open source seed project. And, and so certainly growing in the backyard has almost tripled, I think, um, in the last uh, decade, may, maybe, um, and growing in community gardens. So may, maybe this is maybe the next step. Um, you know, they, they know how to do it, but they know there are problems and they notice maybe one carrot or, or, or one tomato is doing this or that, um, and they want to stabilize that. Um, so this is maybe a natural progression for for people. Um, is that maybe what, what's spurring a little of this? I think so. I think it certainly could be. And, uh, I mean, that's exciting, and that's something that we certainly hope we can uh, feed into. Yeah. Um, and I noticed that um, high mowing um, is on the, would it be the organizational board or just involved in this? There, there was a small seed company up in, is it Maine or something? How They're did... in Vermont, yeah. yeah. They're in Vermont, and uh, they are one of the two seed companies who have been involved with us since the very beginning. The other one is Wild Garden Seeds, which is located in the state of Oregon. And both both uh, High Mowing and Wild Garden have played a very important role in uh, providing varieties and, and conversations uh, about the open source seed project that will be, uh, will be partners as we go forward. And can can we get the seeds um, from those uh, from the, those companies, or do we have to get them from the website? Good question. So you can probably obtain uh, many of the varieties, maybe as many as twenty of the thirty-seven that we've released from either high mowing organic seeds or from wild garden seeds. 
And uh, if you go on their websites, you'll see the open source seed varieties. They are listed there. Uh, High mowing even has the open source seed logo there next to the next to the varieties. I think they have five of them. And uh, Wild Garden Seeds has another maybe 15 of them. Uh, but if if somebody wants some of the ones that aren't offered by those two companies, they can get them from the website itself, OpenSourceSeedInitiative.org. And so uh, that's a way. Uh, that's a place that people can begin. Okay, and I, I noticed there there was um, a pledge on there. Um, right. Is this something that people take um, seriously? Um, and 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 what what is what is that that about? Um, as far far as um, who who you expect to take that? Is it people like High Moen or the people that buy from them um, that are buying these seeds? Right. So if you if you buy those seed packets from the Open Source Seed Initiative project, uh, what you'll find is a is a sticker on the packet on every packet that that says the pledge. And the pledge basically indicates that by opening the packet, you agree to keep the seeds free and to share them, uh, save them, replant them, breed with them, or whatever you like, but that you will not patent or otherwise restrict their use. Uh, if you buy the seeds from High Mowing, you'll you'll not see that pledge on there, but you will see that on their website. Uh, it won't be on the packet itself, but you'll see it on their website. So, we hope that people will pay attention to that. We hope we're appealing to their uh, to their sense of of goodness and and thinking about keeping the seed free. Uh, we do believe most people will not only abide by that pledge, but but support it enthusiastically, and that's the response we've had so far. We hope that will continue. And so, so it's a little like the safe seed uh, pledge that a company would, uh, like Haimoim, would take. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so uh, what about um, getting the word out? Um, there is the web page. Do you have Facebook pages or Twitters or anything like that yeah, at this we point? Do have a, there is a Facebook page for, um, there is a Facebook page for the Open Source Seed Initiative, and if you search it there, you'll find it. Uh, we, uh, we're in the process of creating a nonprofit entity around this issue. And as we do, I think we'll have more and more information that we can share with people who are part of it and who have written into us. And so I think because we didn't start until April 17th of this year in a formal sense, we're still sort of figuring out exactly what shape it'll take. And, and I, I would imagine you, um, if you're active in research, maybe the, you'd need so, somebody um, to do the social media side and, and all, all the, the, the business side of, yeah. of something we, like we that. We have a number of people who have offered their help, and I hopefully will take them up on that as we go forward. That's right. We have some, some individuals who have particular expertise in some of those things. So those are all things that we hope will, will evolve. Yeah. And, and what about uh, getting the word out through um, – presentations, talks, conferences, or anything like that. Do, do you fi- find you being invited to um, different con- conferences to talk about this and, and get the word out that way? We both, all of us who have been involved in this have been, uh, have been invited and, and are speaking in different places. I just got back from a conference in Canada talking about the Open Source Seed Project and will spend uh, some of my travel time this summer and fall at different meetings talking about it. So I think we'll, we'll, we will continue to not only talk about it, but also publish a piece on it. We're in the middle of writing a, an article that will be published in a journal uh, about the Open Source Seed Project. So all these things are ways for us to get our message out. 
<laughs> and obviously they all take time. Um, and, and, and is there, is, are the type of place, conferences and things that you're um, attending and presenting at, um, are they open to the general public or are they more um, academic-based? Well, I think all, uh, it's a mix. Um, I, I will be talking about this project at the public library up in Appleton, Wisconsin, later in July, which is, of course, open to the public. I'll be talking about it at the horticulture meetings, uh, the national horticulture meetings in Florida later in July, which is uh, a meeting that one would need to register for. So it's a mix. You know, I think, I think we'll continue to talk uh, wherever it seems appropriate. And, and if people wanted to invite you to go to, a, um, to attend their meeting and give a presentation, is there a way they can do that from the, the website? Well, they can get my, I believe they can get my email from the website. They can also get it from the university's uh, directory as well. And they should feel certainly free to write to us and see. And if our schedules permit, it's certainly something we can consider. And, uh, and, and so, so all the other people that are involved in this are also doing presentations. Um, is there a kind of a, a general listing of you all somewhere, or is it just kind, kind of look, look at the agenda of different likely meetings and see if one of you's there? Yeah, we, right now we're not organized that way yet. Both Jack and I have been giving presentations on this sort of thing, and, and I think um, probably best to start with uh, the two of us. Okay, um, and so so people can may, maybe research your your name and see where you're appearing next, right? Well, yeah, I don't know if it will they'll be able to get that much information, but they certainly should feel free to be in touch if they wish. Okay, um, well, we've got about two minutes left of the of the show here, uh, Irvin. So, um, I mean, it's a it's a a great movement. Um, so if if uh, just in this last minute, if there were if there was one thing that you wanted people to get out there and do and take notice of, um, as far as this organization and what they could do to help, what would it be? Well, I suppose uh, um, obtaining some open source seeds or um, sharing the the web link to others who are gardeners who are interested in seed issues, talking about uh, restrictions on seeds and what that might mean for gardeners and farmers and for eaters. Uh, all of those things are things that we hope this open source seed m- movement will spawn. Um, you know, I think it's already raised some awareness of, of some of the restrictions that are on seeds, and I think the more we can talk about it, the more we can share that information, the better it'll be for us, and we're hoping that will happen. And, and of course, um, I, I would imagine you also um, accept donations, or is it a little early for that? We're in the process of being organized that way, but we have received some donations on the website, and Certainly people can do that if they're interested. Uh, we, we, they, there is a little PayPal button on there, and we've received some uh, donations. We've also received some funds for the seed collections that we're offering. So if people are so inclined, they can certainly do that. And, and you said that they can order the, um, the whole selection of thir- 37, no, 17 seeds. Uh, well, we, right. We, we have 37 that we've released, but what we've been doing is offering them in, in groups of 15 packets. So we've been offering 15 different varieties in a sort of a small envelope, and then sending those to people who request them. And, and I guess it's a little late in the um, in the the year gardening year to be getting them. Would you will you be doing another um, set maybe for the fall season? I hope so. Uh, not not this fall, but I think we'll have another one in 2015. Probably in the late winter, early spring of 2015. Um, uh, is yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's a, a great idea, and I really commend you for, for get, getting this started because I think it's kind of 
it, it's a it's such an important thing when you consider on a global level um, three com- companies controlling everything um, that that you know in ten years that could be they have forty five uh, sorry seventy five percent of um, the food source in their mucky little hands. Um, <laughs> So, so I, yeah, I, I think it's great that um, that you that you you and your and Jack and everybody is do, doing this. Um, and so, well, thank you. you. We appreciate your support. Yes, and and so it's the Open Source Seed Initiative on the web, and it's that same name on Facebook. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. Okay. Well, we're right at the end of the show, everyone. But I want to thank you for listening to America's homegrown veggie show this morning. Thank you, Owen. You've been a great guest. Um, everyone, we'll be back next week with another show talking all about growing veggies. Have a good gardening week, everyone, and join me back here next Saturday. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.